Welcome to the Rob at Desk Podcast. I'm Rob Blasey. Today, we talked to Victor Dale. He was involved with a police shooting. He was shot at 21 times uh, by some Oregon police officers. He tells a story. It's an interesting story, and he's got an interesting perspective. I was connected to Victor by Dorian Strange. I don't even know that's Dorian's real last name, but he's our mutual friend, and he got us connected, and I appreciate that, Dorian. So we're going to hear Victor Dale's story right here. Three, two, one. Mr. Victor Dale, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, I can't complain. It's it's a nice day out here in Denver, Colorado. So, got got outside a little bit and enjoying the weather. How's the how how's what's it like out there in Northwest Ohio? It's pretty warm today. It's a pretty nice day. Good, good, good. Sorry if you hear my dog in the background. We got people doing some work in the backyard, and Freckles decides to, you know, make sure she's the protector of the house. Oh, yeah. That's good. <laughs> right? It's like, like feet or something. She'll be their best friend, though. So really not a good protector. But <laughs> are, you, are you a dog person? Do you have dogs? Um, I don't have a dog, but I do love dogs. Oh, yeah. No. It's, I married into the dog. It was a package deal. So <laughs> I'll take it. So. so, yeah. So I got introduced to you by Dorian, and he told me about your story. Uh, and I don't... First off, so you were that you are uh, had a had a had a situation with is it which police group was it in Northwest Ohio? Oh, correct. With the um, Oregon Police Department. Oregon Police, and then uh, and and you were shot multiple times by them. Is that correct? Um, yes, I actually have two bullets still in me. Oh, um, I believe a graze on the knee. And a couple bullet fragments that I've been finding as days go by. Oh wow! And so, because like I read that when I read the story from WTOL too, it's like, and then how how long ago was this from now? Um, this was uh, June thirteenth, Saturday, June thirteenth. So just two weeks ago. Sure. Wow! And how are you how are you doing on the recovery? Um. It's hit or miss. I mean, some ways I'm recovering better than others, but mostly I have some nerve damage in my left arm, although I was shot in the right shoulder in the neck. Um, but I have some nerve damage in my left arm that's, um, you know, I can't really access or use my fingers too much at this time. So oh, wow. slow process for my fingers to kind of get the feeling back and become useful. But, you know, I'm being patient with the process. Right. Have you, uh, are, you, are you expected to have a full recovery? Um, the doctors said it would just be something with time would do. Okay. So, and if you don't mind, how old are you, Victor? Um, I turned 30 on uh, May 14th about a month ago. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. As you get older, you know how it is, no matter what injury it is, it just seems it takes longer and longer to recover. So. True. I just turned 40 this year, so. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Lovely age. Right? It's. When you're 30, you think you're old. All of a sudden, you hit 40, you're like, oh, that's not too bad. It's not too bad. I look forward to it. Yeah, right? And I just got beat by beating tennis by two 55-year-olds. So it's just one of those things you're like, huh, interesting. So, <laughs> and, uh, all right, we'll get to your story here. I just want to, so tell me how this, tell me about the day that this happened. What What was this, what was going on? Um, essentially, uh, I had came over to my girlfriend's, 
who's also the uh, mother of my daughter. Okay. And uh, we were having a disagreement. Um, I was actually intending to, to leave, grabbed a laundry basket full of my clothes, actually. And, uh, you know, we stopped outside and kind of were um, talking, you know, mm-hmm. talking, or maybe if you even want to say arguing, but we were trying to work out our differences, essentially, you know, mm-hmm. in the midst of, you know, whether I decide to leave or go, um, you know how relationships go, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So um, it was at that time when the uh, Oregon police officer uh, ran up uh, ran up on us and ran up with his hands up towards me um, and may have even touched me. Um, but I know he ran up with his hands towards me, and I kind of freaked us out, you know, yeah. freaked me out especially. It's kind of just as the night was starting to set in, it was getting darker and kind of out of nowhere. What's you know, that, what time of night was this? Officer, so what, what time of day? Um it was about nine, nine forty, okay. nine fifty, right around. So darker than dusk, but not night. Right, right. Okay, just yeah. getting darker. Yeah, starting to get dark. Um, and then after that, um, he, you know, asked us, "Hey, is everything okay?" Uh, which, of course, my girlfriend responded, "You know, yes. You know, we're fine. We're just having a talk. You know, talking about our daughter, our family." And um, uh, he then proceeds to talk to her, kind of separates us. Um, and it was around that time a second officer arrived on the scene. Um, he wanted to check that everything was okay, um, which upon realizing, confirming with his officer, things were fine, he then proceeded to um, a different uh, building in the complex because I, I guess at that later I learned there was a break in a B&E call that was reported. So uh, after that... Um, uh, the officer um, kind of that stopped us was was walkie-talkie, kind of listening in. I overheard uh, something about a DV, um, and then it, uh, the other officer actually returned and said it was a prank, uh, the call that they were up there for. Uh, about that time, I grabbed my laundry basket, um, it, you, it was, my car. It wasn't you guys that called as a prank, was it? With Armor All, a little bit of this. That was a, sorry, that was a website that I had your article up on, and it just started playing an ad. <laughs> so, But you guys weren't the ones that made that 911 prank call, was it? No, no, we made no 911 prank calls. I, I actually seen the footage, the body cam footage of the neighbors from the other building that made the call. Uh, Apparently, it was the prank was the fact that someone was pranking them, not the actual call. Okay. They were actually intimidated at the time, but... I don't know if it was a friend of theirs or someone they knew that decided to put on a mask and kind of, you know, mess with them outside of their door. Okay, yeah. Just someone making a bad decision and people reacting to the bad decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so at that point, I, you know, after hearing about, you know, this was a prank, yada, yada, um, and the officer obviously wasn't, he wasn't talking to us at the time, hadn't detained me, didn't say, you know, I was under arrest or anything. You know, I proceeded to put my laundry basket in the car, and then I got inside my car and, you know, locked my door, proceeded to uh, get ready to, to leave, as I was intending to do originally. Um, it was around that time the cop <clears throat> attempted to pull open my door. Once he couldn't, he went around the front pass, uh, front driver's side of my car. He kind of tapped on the headlight, and he pulled out his gun. Um, after he pulled out his gun... Um, well, you, and you know, you and the car seconds. wasn't moving at the time, obviously. I'm sorry? The car wasn't moving at that time, clearly, if he was walking through. Um, 
No, no, the car, uh, I was proceeding to leave, uh, getting ready to, but at that, at that time, no, the car was not moving. Okay. Um, so he jumped in front, um, raised his gun, and um, to be honest, the next thing I remember is the shot. Um, and you, after that, have you ever had a, uh, I remember gaining control of the car. Yeah. Have you ever uh, had a gun pointed at you, like a live, you know, weapon like that pointed at you before? Um. From a distance, maybe, you know, it's not necessarily at me, Yeah. but, you know, kind of seeing, you know, things of that nature, like here or there, you know what I mean? From but, a distance. But not someone but like Carling, Carling the way gun pointed at you. Right. I've never had a gun, you know, literally pointed at my head from, you know, six, seven feet away. Jeez. And, you know, I can only it was like... obviously a... The way I look at it, in a sense, I don't know. You know my fight or flight may have taken over um, upon seeing the gun, upon hearing the shot. Um, you know, because again, the next couple of seconds, you know, were honestly a blur to me. I can After imagine. After seeing the gun and hearing the shot, I just remember gaining control of the car. And, um, you know, apparently at that point, I had pulled it out to evade the bullets, um, pulled it over in the grass for a little bit after I was shot, of course. And, um, you know, regained control of the car going towards the exit and decided in my mind that I would not be able to make it to the hospital likely or it wouldn't be wise to try to drive to the hospital. So I stopped my car and, you know, fell out and played it for my life. Told him I have a daughter. Wow. And there, and there was no, I mean, why do you think he pulled the gun on you? Did he, was it? A, I mean, I don't even want to talk for him. What did you think? I think it was, to be honest, I think it was lack of training. I mean, that's the only you know thing you could say. I don't know or see any reason why an officer would pull a gun on an unarmed man who, for one, isn't under arrest or even detained. You know, at this point, I'm, if anything, maybe, you know, if you want to say someone you're questioning, you can't say a witness because there is no crime that I witnessed, you know. But yeah. to stop a, basically, it's someone on the street and, you know, not detain him, you know, or anything like that. Um, and then continue to kind of go up business is standing in the environment and then they you know try to leave the situation they move on with their day and then you shoot at them 21 times i mean there's you know i can't explain the reasoning behind that because beyond lack of training so yeah you know, so, just you know so, two young kids who you know thought that was the right thing to do 21 times so that they was it two people shooting like were there two both of them shoot or was it just a one officer um, after the one officer uh, started shooting, um, I guess in the midst of me pulling off the vehicle, the second officer came, um, you know, he seen the first officer shooting, so I guess he started shooting, oh. you know, so then at that point it was just by any means necessary. You know, there were bullet holes in the fence of Jeez. buildings nearby and, you know, God knows where else. Right. No, you just sort of think too, it's like. Like I've heard gunshots go off like with an altercation at like a police station down the road from where I where I was living out here, but it was like three quick shots, and it was, you know the situation then was ended. But like I mean, twenty one shots are going. Like if it was, like I don't know how big their magazines were, but you go if it was one guy, he clearly had to reload, or he clear you know you know I was like I don't know how many they standard have in their in their magazine, but it's like it's like. That just seems excessive. Excessive is a great word for it. Yeah. So, and you said there were two younger officers. Um, I believe around twenty-five and twenty-seven. 
with a combined experience of less than three years. Oh, jeez. So did these guys have any other incidences of firing their weapons on the job before that you know of? Um, to be honest, I haven't researched that far. Researching officers is something that I have intended to do, but at the same time, it's still yeah. hard, you know, to look at their faces. No, absolutely. I can I can imagine. Did have, have they? I guess sent any sign of remorse, like say, "Hey, sorry, this happened," or is that on a legal side that probably doesn't? They don't. They it's weird. Apologies make it sound like guilty, so they don't want to. They can't. I guess maybe. I don't know. And his source, I mean, the it's interesting. <clears throat> Watching the body cam footage, the officer that initiated the shooting, there was a moment where I was laying on the ground, you know, almost bleeding out, where he just looks at me up and down, and it's a, it's a, you can see the look of shock on his face, you know, and others have, have agreed, you know, it's, it was like at first it was a video game, you know what I mean? Or at first it was just target practice, and then at, at that moment he realized you know, there was a human life that was hanging in the balance. Oh. And then the third officer that had not shot was the one that actually kind of brought him to reality, like, hey, let's get a Medicaid going. Yeah. You know, so it was really a, a time of shock, I think, maybe for both of the young officers, where they realized that this, you know, this wasn't a game. This was a human life that, you know, they've almost taken it if it was. Unreal. Unreal situation. So, like, you met, what would be... Like obviously, there's there's legal things going on in this situation. Has there any been charges pressed against you for this? Um, no, there's been no charges placed against me. Um, I was released from the hospital on my own reconnaissance. Um, you know, I'm, I celebrated my daughter's birthday party less, well, actually, uh, exactly a week after the incident. Oh, that's, um, that's awesome! You're, I can't, Im- I, I, that's, a, I can't imagine being out of the hospital after getting shot that quickly. I, I, I'd never been shot or. I've known people that have been, but I don't know what the recovery is. Um, to be honest, the hospital, I mean, as far as the bullets, they said they were best left not removed. Um, they did their test and essentially said it wasn't much more they could do for me, although I'm still finding bullet fragments. But, Oof. you know, at the same time, I was ready to go protest. I, I met up that day. I got released the day after being shot with, uh, you know, some local activists and, you know, got the ball rolling on how we can, for one, bring this to light, and for two, bring justice to the situation, because my main focus right now is that this is happening all over the world, you know what I mean, especially in America, and it's really an abuse of power, you know, it's, it's a lack of training and abuse of power, we see, you know, what happened to George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, um, and so many of these officers are just getting off the hook. You, you've mentioned... You know, and there's got to be some accountability. Absolutely, I agree with you, and when bad decisions are made, there has to be. If not, there's you don't learn from anything. Um, you mentioned training. You think there was a lack of training with the officers. Do you think there was a race issue at all, or do you think it was just, like you said, lack of training? Um, you know, I can't say if it's a race issue. To be honest with you, I mean, yeah. do I believe there's prejudice in America? Do I believe it's in my hometown? Do I especially yeah. believe it's in Oregon? Definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely. But you know, at the at the base, at the root of this all, it's it's an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so like, it's it's the people in power in this instance. You know, cops especially because who's putting them in check? You know, if a cop shoots somebody, typically they get an administrative paid leave. You know, they have a union, they have a supporting cast that 
you know, paints a picture that, hey, this is what they had to do, you know, because our job is dangerous and our lives are on the line. So if we have to take somebody else's life, that's just what had to happen. And then they get back to work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it, with any other job, if you have a mistake, not to mention that, you know, in somebody's life or dramatically changes their life, you could be a bill collector. And if you make a mistake, you know, people want accountability. They want to hold you responsible. They want to hold your superiors responsible. And, you know, there's repercussions. So why is the police force any different? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, this is one of those situations where it's like, like, I know I've made mistakes at work, which I'm in just in sales. So when I make a mistake, people lose money. They don't lose their life. You know, I'm not on this, you right. know, you know, so, you know, it seems a little bit more forgivable. Like, oh, well, you just, there's an expensive education. Would you be a if there was proper training for these guys that pulled the trigger, would you be okay with them going back on the force knowing that they probably had a life altering with you to go, Hey, I got to be that much more cautious before I pull my weapon. Personally, I don't have any hate in my heart towards anybody. Yeah. I believe there should be justice and accountability. And I believe this is a, a issue that, that, that really reaches much wider than, those officers much wider than Oregon PD, much wider than Chief Navarre. Yeah. This is a global issue. This is a real problem. Mm-hmm. And to put officers back in the line of duty that potentially could have killed an innocent man because of poor judgment, I think it would be ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. People that kill someone with a car, drinking and driving, you know, they, you know, some of those people never get their licenses back. Yeah. So why would we put you know, people back in a situation, you know, to potentially possibly make the same mistake. And again, the, the greater gravity is that everybody makes mistakes, of course. Mm-hmm. But if you make a mistake with shooting somebody and potentially killing them and then to fire at somebody 21 times, I mean, that seems less of a mistake and more of a decision. Yeah, no, I can I can see that completely. I can see that completely. And like with with what you've seen in your experience, like, like what I mean, you said more training, and like I don't know what the basic training is for an officer. I know it's not terribly much compared to other fields. But I mean, well, I've been told before that there's people in like barber school or hair school that have gotten more training experience than a police officer. I don't know if it's a year or a year and a half or two years, or maybe four years even. But you know, people go to college and get master's degrees and spend more time getting schooling to, you know, to, to do other things than these people that are given guns and badges and have the right to stop people and apprehend people and, you know, feel like they have the right to shoot at people. So I, I can't say exactly what the training is. That's yeah. not my department. But obviously from everything that we're seeing across across America, and especially, especially in the last several months, I mean, if, if it's not a lack of training, then, Maybe it is a racial issue, or maybe it is just an oppressive issue. But you know, I think it's I think it's a mixture. It's a it's a combination. You know, some again with these young cops, I can't say what their motive was, but I do feel like it was a lack of training with them. I think I think you hit it on the head. There were there's multiple issues. Like whenever there's a big issue like this, everybody typically wants to point to the easiest solution, but it's usually a multi-variable answer. Where like you know, absolutely, it's like could the could it be racial? Maybe. I, as a white guy, I usually say doubtful, but I'm not going to say, say I haven't walked in your shoes. I don't know. You know what you've seen. 
I mean, I just see life as hard and it's hard for a lot of people. And they, you know, I see certain people, you know, go for the easiest answer with what they think it is, but it could be, you know, do they think it's socioeconomic, lack of training, you know, who, who knows what was going if on? I were, go ahead. If I were to say that this was simply racial, then I would denounce the accountability of police Yeah. in general. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. again, this is a police issue. Yeah. That's what I repeatedly tell everybody. This, you know what I mean? Because, again, this isn't just happening to black people. It's not just happening to Mexicans or Asians or, you know, minorities. I mean, you know, one one one, one argument that, you know, some people have in this is, that, hey, white people are dying too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? More white people are getting killed by police than black people. And looking at statistics, I mean, it is true, you know, face front. But obviously, when you look at the the um, percentage of white people compared to the white people as a whole in America or in, you know, in the nation, um, compared to the percentage of black people, because, again, we are a minority, you realize there's a much greater percentage of minorities, particularly black people, that are dying from this. But back to the argument, you know, more black, more white people are dying than black people. Aren't you guys upset about that? Doesn't that signify there's an issue? You know, cops aren't meant to execute people. You know, they're not judge, jury, and executioner. They're meant to apprehend, to arrest, and then everything else is meant to play out in court. Mm -hmm. Because if I were to try to stop somebody, chop in front of their car, pull out a gun, start shooting 21 shots in a residential apartment complex less than 50 yards from the playground, you know, with bullets spewing everywhere, how far under the jail would I be? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No. Talk about it. I mean, Not to mention facing after my car shooting shots at it. Like, that's yeah. beyond against protocol. That's just reckless. Yeah, no. Your situation specifically, it, I mean, it, I think you, I think you hit it on the head. It screams like lack of training. And I would say, what's situational understanding for these officers? Or right. it's not, I mean, I wasn't there. I'm assuming your story is mostly accurate. I don't have any reason to doubt you. You know, Dorian is a good guy. He trusts you. So, you know, I trust you. Um, but like, if he's a great guy. Yeah, no, he's a great he, have you ever, he, Have you seen his act? It's incredible. But uh, Dorian has performed, I believe, as my either 16th or 18th. Might have been my 16th birthday party. Oh, yeah. Um, I met him, I think, I met him, I think, selling Kirby's, knocked on his door. Didn't buy one, didn't buy one. <laughs> but even from that, we made a connection. I ended up getting them to perform at my birthday party, and he was phenomenal. Oh, my God. I can't say enough nice things about him. Like, I met him at, I forget, it was like the, maybe the Lucas County Fair. I was working in a booth, and he was there doing performances. And I was, I mean, incredible. And then now he's doing dabbling more in, like, doing, like, painting and artwork and everything. I see what that's phenomenal. And you just go, what a gifted human being. Right. So easily distracted there, too. Sorry, I, you can, you, I can get going on. Uh, side notes pretty easily but uh i mean with i mean it's one of those where it's like i mean you're right with your stats and stuff like that like i've heard those you know similar stats i try not to get caught up in the weeds on that so the question then i mean is do you think this is something that's a hard issue or a law issue do you think one more time is, is this a heart issue it was like is this something like in the heart of men. I'm not, I'm not even saying like police officer, like, like I think like, do you think people are, you know, can this be solved with a law or a policy or is this that 
there's certain people that out there, like in any profession, are just bad or evil. I mean, as much as I want to say I can change people's hearts, you know, sometimes I feel like I have, to be honest with you. But I feel like, you know, it's kind of like each one teach one. You know, some people are brought up with different beliefs. Some people are brought up prejudice, you know, until they learn to do better. You know, no kid is racist from jump or prejudice from jump or aggressive or, you know, hateful from jump. But these things are taught and learned, you know. So whenever we get the chance to take someone who may not, you know, ignorance is this, who may not have learned that, hey, just because my skin's different doesn't mean I, you know, act different necessarily, or it doesn't mean I'm less intelligent or less capable. I believe, you know, it takes that risk to, you know, what, you may not like me, but it's okay. You're still my brother, you know, through God. You know, I still love you. I still wish the best for you. And maybe my actions will show you that, hey, we're not so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, but as far as the abuse of power, as far as the police, it definitely needs laws to be placed. I mean, it's funny here in Toledo, they placed a law, I believe it was about chokeholds, but, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They finally kind of submitted it, though it was already known that cops aren't supposed to do that. They kind of submitted it and put that um, law or act into place. And, you know, as someone who, this was a couple of days after I got shot. So, you know, my thing is, well, what, are, what laws are we making about excessive use of force in general or, you know, excessive tasing or, pulling your gut. You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, laws do need to change. Laws do need to be put into place in general about a sense of force, about abuse of power. You know, again, in my situation, if a cop isn't detained or arresting you, they, they have no right to the one shoot at you, stop you, harass you. And I really feel like it is a police harassment issue that's taking place right now. I mean, you know, anyone can ask around and you probably have a friend or at least who has a friend who's been harassed for, by police without an actual reason. So, I mean, it's an issue because that's not their job. If they're supposed to be uh, public servants, why are they taking that abuse of power and, and stopping uh, someone just to ask where they're going and not giving a reason? You know, things like these are reality. Yeah. And it's an intimidation because, I mean, well, you, I mean, we all know, you know, with the origination of the mafia and things like that back maybe years and years ago, that there was police involvement, you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's no question about it. These facts, you know, so we know that there's there's always going to be a dirty cop somewhere. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the fact. There's always going to be a bad doctor. There's always going to be a bad teacher, you know what I mean? But when we have police, you, we can't have, we can't allow them to continue to do this. We need to encourage cops to speak out and not watch these things happen, you know, not discourage them. You know, we need to retrain and make sure, you know, maybe it's psychological test that need to be done on these officers, you know, more properly before they get into the line of duty, you know, because if we're hiring racists or prejudiced or people who are just trigger happy to, to you know, uh, enforce our laws, then what are we really doing? Are we putting militia out here? You know, are we approaching martial law? You know, these are questions and fears that, you know, I'm not alone with. And what a tough job they have, too, overall. And, like, I don't know if you've seen those numbers on it, too. Like, the top two professions that have, like, with their families ending in divorces are police officers and nurses. And just because I can only imagine, like, the stress and the strange hours that that put on a family. So, I imagine, you know, you can only imagine that comes, you know, you, if you have a bad day at home, it travels into work, too. I just can't imagine that's not... Yeah. A cyclical effect too, where you go. How do you, 
like when they when they talk about like how do you reform the police? Like I hear the defund the police and I get it's a slogan. I don't care for the idea of it that way, but like where you go, how do you reform it? Like you're talking about help these guys out to be able to make better decisions because it helps everybody out in that sense. And you go, absolutely. I mean, you know, actually I studied to take the police exam. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe about four or five years ago, I was planning and prepared to take the exam and something came up and I ended up not going to the exam. But I, at one point, I wanted to be a detective. You know, I still think about being a PI, you know, because I want to bring justice and, and shed light. And I want to, you know, when you see so many people doing things wrong and disrespecting the bad, quite honestly, and you know there's good cops, mm-hmm. but we need more good cops, you know, to drown out the bad ones, to apprehend and force out the bad ones, you know. So I have a respect I have respect for police. I have a, a friend I played football with in high school who was a police officer, who was a sheriff. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I can't hate him just because of the bads. I don't hate cops. I don't have any hate in my heart. You know, I respect the fact that they are signing up for a job that they could lose their life in any day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like being a soldier for in, in some extent. You know, it's mm-hmm. dangerous. You know, but obviously at the end of the day, you know, that's something that they do sign up for. That's something that they do go to training for, and that's, you know, a decision that they make to put themselves in harm's way every day. And with right. that comes accountability that you have to be willing to, you know, do your job to protect and serve before you're willing to shoot and kill. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like anybody going to any profession, I sort of, I coach basketball for fun and I give teachers crap whenever they talk, complain about pay. I'm like, you knew what you're getting into. Don't, don't blame the school. Don't blame the system. Blame your guidance counselor. Yeah. You know, it's like, you knew what you're getting into. Like no one's going in there to get rich. So you know, right. and just like a police officer is like, you know, they know they're going into a dangerous profession. And I and like I think you said it right with like more, you know, training, you know, the psychology of it, understanding the situation. There's a lot. in There's a lot in there. It's a huge multivariable equation. And I mean, one, you know, fixing one thing may help a little, but it's there's so many little things that go to it. And like I said, there's a lot of good cops. One of my basketball parents as a detective out here in Denver, and he's a great human being. So, and you know, and you, so one, another thing I want to ask you, cause I, you know, stalking you on Facebook a little bit before this to learn a little bit more about you. You're, you're also a really proud father, which a ton of respect for. I hope I get there one day. Um, is uh, in the African American community, how much do you think that plays a, a part where there's a number of kids that come up fatherless, like in that, where they're then is it, how much of an issue is that in that, in that world? Um, I can tell you, I, I lost my mother when I was 12. You oh, know, I'm sorry. I was my mother. That's okay. And, uh, it was 18 years later. You know, but obviously that was hard for me because that's who originally was primarily raising me. Yeah. So I can speak from an African-American, you know, yeah. who had a childhood where you lost a parent. And obviously the bigger, you know, you bring up the, you know, missing a father and not having a father, you know, it's a reality my daughter almost had to accept. You know, in reality, you see what I kind of did when she was killed. And it plays a role because without leadership, without mentorship, you know, we're lost. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's, it's no other way to put it. I mean, the same way we talk about accountability. I said I want justice for not only these officers, but their higher-ups, their superiors. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who trained them? Who put them out there? We had a, the same thing with the kids. I've always, I did a roundtable, uh, I think Channel 11, when I was in high school. Um, 
And my point has always been that it starts at home. You know, if these kids aren't getting love and mentored at home, they they go out into a world that, for one, already villainizes them. You know, and and for two, there's little support. There's little, you know, really community to to say, hey, we have your back. We're here for you. What can we do to help you? Mm -hmm. What can we do to make you into a model citizen of America? They're not getting those opportunities. So when they don't have a father at home and the mother's working two jobs to support two or three children and doing everything she can, who do they have to go to? You know, so it's a difference because it's it's a situation that's typically a minority situation, you know, and, and some people may not like that I said that, but it's a reality. You know, when you look at the amount, you know, it takes us those black fathers who are in prison or Hispanic fathers who are in prison, you know, the list goes on and on. And, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to look out for these kids. We can't, we can't be upset when these kids turn into crooks or robbers because that's all they know as far as how to survive. And this is looking from someone who was blessed enough to come up the right way. And I've never been arrested or anything for anything like that. But I see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I see these people coming out without that leadership. And, and then they go into the community and we wonder why they don't have these skills because no one was there to teach them. Yeah. So but it does need to be a community outreach to try to, you know, Boys and Girls Clubs is one thing I went to as a kid. And that's one thing, you know, you, you, YMCA's is different organizations that bring the community the support they need. And it needs to be governmentally funded. Why is the government not doing more to help these situations, reaching out more? A lot of these come from urban, you know, uh, organizations or from private funders. You know, this needs to be something that if we want to have a better world to live in, then we got to do the best to help everybody in that world be better people. Mm-hmm. So I'm a person that tries to come up with solutions. I don't know about you. Like I like when you see a problem, you go, I, I get in trouble with my wife because when she says a bad day at work and starts venting, I always then have to stop and ask myself, I go, do you want to vent or do you want me to come up with a solution? Because that's, you know, what I, so what, right or wrong here, I have a possible solution here. This is an idea. You can agree or disagree with me. I I like I'm a fan of the First Amendment. Ever have good dialogue, and you know, we all learn from that. But what? How about this? I mean, you already have an interest in criminal justice. What would it take? What if the What if uh, the judge says, you know, Mr. Dale, you know, we see you've been wronged. We're going to help you out. All the whatever that looks like. But he goes, part of it is we want you to be part of internal affairs. We want you to be part of the watchdog system that keeps an eye on officers. Is that something you would do? Um, definitely. I mean, does doesn't it make more sense to have almost like a, I'm just thinking out loud from a ten thousand foot view, is like have citizens like you, citizens that you know, that are are more the watchdogs that have you know that are the ones investigating the police to make sure things are being done the right way instead of having. I mean. People look out for each other, and I don't blame them for that. When you're, you know, I heard someone say it was. It goes, you, you know, with a cop, it's like you don't send us, you know, after two a.m. You don't send, you don't send a saint to go get a sinner. And so there, you know, there's issues out there with guys that you send out there to go catch bad guys that are legitimate bad guys. But it's like, how do you, you know, have someone that's watching to say, hey, you got to be doing it the right way? Because if you don't do it the right way, we all want law and order, and you can't have law and order if the guys you know, in charge of, you know, keeping the law or, you know, don't having, you know, something over them, keeping, keeping them, like you said, accountability. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I love what 
mean, it's, that's been brought up before. I'm losing you a little bit on the connection here, Victor. The postals. I'm sorry. That's okay. I love what you said, and I've seen potential proposals for things of that nature, and I feel like that needs to be. I mean, years ago, we had the Black Panther movement. Yeah. And I do believe the Black Panther movement gets a bad rep. You know, Malcolm X in general himself gets a bad, a bad rep, you know, because of his aggressive views and because of his standards. But there needs to be something of that magnitude in order for the people to protect themselves. Because we do. We do have to protect ourselves. We do have to stand up for one another. Because, you know, one of the things now is that blue lives matter. Yeah. You know, blue lives. You know, it's there's no blue lives because there's no blue people. You know, blue <laughs> is the color of the uniform that they right. wear. For whether it's eight hours a day, 10 hours, 12 hours, and then they take it off and go home to be with their families. You know, they don't have to live, you know, entirely in a uniform every day, 24-7, beyond the force, before the force, after the force. You know, that's just a uniform. You know what I mean? That would be like, you know, inmates saying orange lives matter or a janitor or a mechanic in a gray suit saying green lives matter. Like, you know, this is, it, what's, what's the point behind this essentially? But there does need to be, like, I promote everybody when you see someone getting pulled over or stopped by police, you need to stop and pull your phone out and record and make sure that these cops are doing the right thing. Because the times that we don't have our phones out are the times that justice is, is not served. Because then there's no storyline. Because then the body cam, you know, allegedly gets knocked off during, with the altercation. You know, these are things that people want questions. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes people are afraid to ask questions because of the oppression. Because no one wants to give them the answer because people change the narrative and, you know, contradict themselves. But we need to, you know, again, hold this accountability. We need to watch and observe and make sure things are getting right. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, you need to get in, involved in a police stop and, 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 you know, stop a cop from doing his job. But I'm saying at the very least, we need to, you know, record and make sure he is doing his job. And when I see laws about, you know, not being able to record cops, you know, without the permission, that's, to me, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree with that's that ridiculous. one. ridiculous. Right. That's just giving them a, a, a free pass to do what they want and then change the narrative. I mean, in my situation alone, it was said at first that I had a gun, that I beat my mother's, you know, that I beat the, the mother of my child. And none of these things were anything close to the truth. You know, I've never even carried a gun. I've never put my hands on it. But these are the storylines that get twisted and get thrown out. And we, we see these headlines and we jump on board because there wasn't a camera involved because we don't know the real story, which is why, again, in my situation, the body cam shames and swayed a lot of the public opinion and because it shows the true, the true story. Absolutely. But if we don't see those things or if that's not available to us or it, it's knocked off or for whatever reason wasn't worn, then how do we know justice is served? We have to go off the word of the police, and that's not fair to us as people. What is that is, is can't be sure is the policy for Toledo and Oregon is do the all the on the street officers have a body cam that they wear um as far as I'm aware they they are they are supposed to and do wear body cams because the officers and in my situation were wearing body cams okay. but often enough like in the storyline is for whatever reason the body cam was off or knocked off or you know what have you. You know, in my situation, it took almost a week or so for the body cam evidence to be revealed. Yeah. You know, so within that time, you know, there was one storyline until the true storyline came out. Right. So, you know, the 
the transparency is not there. That's the bigger issue. Yeah. You know, in this in a recent situation in Toledo, Toledo police claims they're not working with ICE um, as far as detaining uh, what they consider illegal immigrants. And from a recent situation, we've learned that's not true. And that the Toledo police have assisted ICE in detaining what they consider illegal immigrants. And and it's hard to watch because you see people who've been here for a decade, two decades, turn from their families. And whether you feel that's right or wrong, the transparency is something that, you know, I feel, okay, why are we being lied to? You yeah. know, as, 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 our, as our police department, you, you know, regardless of, of what you're doing or if we don't like it, at least tell us the truth. Don't tell us one thing, then do the other. And in so many instances, that's what's happening. Yeah, no what that talk, that's a whole nother can of worms with illegal immigration or legal immigrants, especially when yeah. they've been here and created a new life for their family. Like I don't that's one of those situations like I don't know if there is a good answer for it. But you just go I like once again a multi variable equation where there isn't one simple answer and I jeez. Um do you if do you like to read much or do you are you an audiobook guy or a hard book copy? Like what have you? Um, all of the above. I mean, one of my I went to school to Ohio State for journalism. So okay. As you can imagine, I I do enjoy a good read. Have you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Talking to Strangers? I'm not familiar. It's it's a good book. He talks about like how with the police and some of their policies, and I forget what the lady's name is. She got pulled over in Texas. And it was just a bad situation with an officer that just like similarly that wasn't trained. And I, I don't, I don't want to tell the story because I feel like I'm going to get the facts wrong on the story because I just don't remember. But he does a great job of actually explaining the overall policy that they used to do what they were doing and the fallacies in it. Where it's like, like any good policy, typically, or any good idea, it's like, um, I don't know if you're a church guy. I remember in Cedar, I, I used to go to Cedar Creek Church out there in Toledo when I was there. I talked to their pastors a lot. And, you know, they talk about church plants in other areas and they were pretty open, like, hey, what worked for us may not work for someone else in a different part of the country just because it worked here, you know, may not work in Denver. And it's sort of the same thing with policies when, you know, something works for one jurisdiction doesn't mean it's going to work everywhere. There's, you know, just different cultures, different communities, different ways things are, you know, so he, and he brings that up really well. If I send you the book, you want to take a look at it? All right, perfect. When we get done here, I'll, I'll get your address and I'll send it to you. So, so and I'll be curious to talk to you later to hear what you think about it. Well, so, but uh, and uh, we can keep going, I guess. But is there anything we missed that you want to bring up before we? I sort of, I feel like I could talk to you for a while. We haven't even talked about all the fun things in Toledo yet, like Schmuckers, the Mud Hens, Gino's Pizza, all the good things. <laughs> All right, hey, you're sort of breaking up on me again, Victor. <laughs> All right, Victor, I got one. I got one more question before we let, before we start wrapping this up, and it's completely unrelated to any of the policing. But we talked when we were talking to getting this set up. We mentioned Schmuckers, good food there. It's on. Is it on Reynolds? Reynolds are like between like Hill, uh, between between like Central and Door, isn't it? Am I remembering that right? Between Door and Bancroft. Door and Bancroft. And Doug Schmucker, the guy that owned it at least when I was there, great human being. And the best pies in the world. So the question I have for you, which there is a correct answer, is the 
best slicer pie at Schmuckers is? I gotta say the peanut butter. Did you say chocolate peanut butter? Yes, sir. Absolutely. It's like the worst feeling in the world when you walk in that place. Like, I'd like a slice of chocolate peanut butter and, the peanut butter, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, all we got left is the vanilla peanut butter. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, I guess I'm here. Oh, okay. The cheesecake is great, too, though. The cheesecake is amazing. Okay. I don't remember them having cheesecake when I was there. They had a, like, sometimes their specialty ones of the week are pretty good, too. Right. Absolutely. You can't go wrong with your buffet. No, not at all. That and then. I think I told you too. Like if if you started an original Geno's out here in Denver, I think you do pretty well. So, definitely. <laughs> All right, Victor. Before I let you go, is there anything else you want to say? Did we miss anything? Any anything to sort of you know put a bow um, on it? I just want to say to all the listeners, um, you know, do your part. Do your part. Um, one thing my situation brought to light is that. I've been outspoken, but I haven't been on the front lines. I haven't been involved. I haven't been actively trying to bring change to issues that we have. So whether it's local, whether it's national, whether it's global. You know, but everybody has a part to play. Whether you share something, whether you rally or protest, or whether you sign a petition or, or you know, message or get in touch with your legislator. But everybody has a part to play because... These issues have been around for decades. You know, it's not centuries. And in order for us to create a future where our children have a better fighting chance, that uh, in a world of love, of less hostility, of less aggression, and really peace, and a chance to, to really just be who they want to be without the intimidation of fears that many of us have now, we have to act now. We can't wait. We can't say tomorrow. We can't say next year. We have to actively get out and make our voices heard because history repeats itself if nothing changes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Victor, I appreciate the time. If someone wanted to reach out to you or get connected with you, what, what would be the best way? Uh, like uh, Facebook or Twitter? Victor Sorry, Victor. Uh, I honestly don't do Twitter. Okay. Facebook. Sorry, you broke up. Um, you, Victor, you said uh, Facebook's probably the best way? Yeah, Facebook, Victor Dale. Um, you, know, you can even email, email me at VicDaleJr at Gmail. But, yeah, you can get all of me that way. No Twitter. I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. Victor Dale Jr. I'll put that, I'll put that email in the description so if people want to reach out to you, they, they, know, they, can, they know how to reach you. And, uh, yeah, Vic Dale Jr. Oh, Vic Dale Jr. Just a C. No. All right. I when I heard the name, I'm like, I go, you sound like a law firm. You got like two, two could be last names, like Victor Dale. <laughs> Victor Dale. Yeah, stand out. <laughs> right? No, it's like, I don't, yeah. No, so, it's like, so, all right, Victor, I appreciate it. I'll send you a link when, when it's up. It should be up here in the next hour or so. Please stay in touch and let me know how this turns out for you, okay? Absolutely. I appreciate you and thank you for your time.